Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 30 of Destination Linux. I'm Rocco, and with me today is Ryan and Dustin. Hey. What's going on, guys? Not much. Hanging out with you. Yeah, <laughs> that's so boring, man. <laughs> I just yeah, can't believe I'm back for a second episode. What's going on? Who invited this guy back for another episode, for crying out loud? <laughs> All right, so everybody uh, met Ryan last week, uh, and probably everybody met Dustin before, but Dustin, for those that didn't meet you, didn't don't know anything about you, who are you and where do you come from? <laughs> I am I am me. No, uh, I am one of the team members of the Ubuntu Budgie project and relatively newer-ish to open source and slowly getting a little more deep into the overall Ubuntu ecosystem. So that's the super high level. Other than that, you know, traditional dude works in computing and who flies in helicopters. Well, okay, that's one time. <laughs> one time so far. A helicopter, Rocco, when I was doing this show. <laughs> the other I didn't day, know that kind of budget. the other day, uh, Dustin sent pictures out of him uh, of this black helicopter, and I says, "Are you gonna Are you gonna fly in that thing?" He says, "In a few minutes." <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And some of them pictures, I don't know, man. I've I've actually never flown before, so them pictures don't look cool to me. You've oh, never flown at all? Ever. Like or anything? Look, man. Wow. You don't so, see wings on the back here, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the funny thing I'll say, though, like you get into those things, and there is not much to a helicopter. Like it's really yeah. amazing how thin it is, the aircraft, aluminum. And plus, you know, the one I was in was from like 1978. But they that's the even more unsettling. You no. Know? <laughs> no, 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 no. That thing's been rebuilt like four times since 1978. The the mechanical requirements to fly those things are insane. You're not making but, me uh, feel any more secure. No. Well, okay, let me get there. <laughs> <laughs> He's working um, on it. He's real close. 1978, trusted mechanic. Mm-hmm. Many trusted mechanics. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, I found flying in a helicopter very relaxing. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know why, especially compared to an airplane. Cause it's like a little jerkier. It's a little louder. You got the headphones on and like, you're talking through radios, but once you get up off the ground in the first 30 seconds, like, Oh my God, I've never done this before. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, all right, this is chill. I'm just going to hang out, check everything out. And it's super fun. Like I'm kind of addicted. Let's just say, I know that it costs $65,000 to get my helicopter's license. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty gnarly. Good but. thing you're saving so much money with Linux. Okay? Now yeah. you can afford that helicopter. I, I would love yeah. to say that I'm saving $65,000 with Linux, <laughs> but I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't. I think that's over-realistic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anything going on with you, Ryan, this week? Well, I just released uh, the video for the website development in Linux. So this is one where if anybody is a professional web designer, you can go to my website and get a lot of good laughs because I spent the last (laughs) two weeks trying to learn HTML code, web design, and all of the HTML and CSS. And I took that two weeks of Code Academy and book knowledge, and I applied it to a site and made a video out of it. And we use all kinds of tools in the video like Krita and GIMP and um, brackets and all kinds of open source tools, Google Web Designer, 
And uh, we play with that and build the website and show folks that uh, you can web design in Linux as well. So not that anybody who uses Linux was shocked by that, but there are a lot of people who may not know that all those tools are available and free. All right, Ryan, I got to call you out. Oh, Uh-oh. boy. Here we go. <laughs> we're, we're, last week, weren't you gurning Rocco about using Google services here? Mm. Now I'm hearing, like, I'm pretty sure you have a YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure you just said something, Google something, something in your tools there. Like, what's happening here, I mean, man? Google Web Designer <laughs> tool is different than use see, because they're not getting anything private from me there. But a uh, web prove it. browser, they're collecting all that data you're searching. Prove for. it. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to go through the source code. Uh-huh. There you go. You guys fight it out, okay? I'm just going to watch, all right? Well, we know whose side you're on. This is not fair. Well, we got a lot to cover this week. Uh, we have news about Adobe. We got kernel news. We have uh, a new uh, client for open source and for messaging and video. We're talking about Yay, USB 2. Yeah, right? Like we need another one. <laughs> and we'll have the all-knowing all gaming news section. So Yeah. All right, let's get to it. So the biggest news of the week, of the year, of the century. Okay, maybe not. But Adobe is finally <laughs> going to kill Flash. Can you believe it? For real this time. For really, really real. Really, really real this yeah. time. Okay, so they announced plans that they're going to cease all development and distribution of its browser wait for it, by the end of 2020. So, <laughs> By which time they'll release another article saying, we're really going to get rid of it this time. You're so cynical, Ryan. <laughs> you know what's really bad about this news? My whole site was built in Flash. So, no, no. It's terrible. Burn it down. Burn it to the ground. <laughs> I spent all that time learning Flash. That's why you're on Code Academy. <laughs> wow. Okay, so they say they're going to encourage content creators to migrate any existing Flash content to the new open formats. Really? They're going to do that yeah. now <laughs> after all these years. Which you should have done years ago. Well, in some ways they sort of did. If you look at all their authoring tools, they started changing those towards HTML5 actually quite a few years ago. I think this is just more kind of like we're going to milk this for as long as we can because if there's any revenue associated with it, we're going to keep pulling it. You know, yeah. it's all I mean, about the writing. money. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, any of those companies. Oh, sorry. Phone. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're just going to pull it until they absolutely can anymore. And it's no supply, surprise it's going away. I mean, you even look at when it started coming off the phones and it's just writing's been on the wall for mm, 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> when Apple nixed it, that was it. Yeah. Well, I love Joey's comment at ONG Ubuntu. He said, even I can't keep track whether Flash officially supports Linux or doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Depends what day of the week it is. So that was pretty awesome. So you can officially say that Flash is dead now. No, you can't say officially, but it's going to be dead someday. Someday. 2020. 2020. All right, moving on. When they change it. (laughs) We have kernel news. Um, Ubuntu 16.04 LTS is still being powered by 4.4 kernel. So then when 16.10 came out, you were able to upgrade to the 4.8 kernel. Well, now that 16.10 is no longer supported, um, they are going to have to do something because the 4.8 kernel is no longer being supported. So what do you guys think? Well, I mean, the way they've done it kind of makes sense. You know, 1604.3 will be coming or is coming out, and that one's going to be 4.10. So, I mean, obviously, they surpassed that 
dependency and uh, it's still part of an LTS release. So, I mean, the people who need that stability or want it, you know, they still got it. So it well, kind of makes sense. Do you think that they're uh, going too fast with the support for the kernel, for the LTS kernel? Mm, not necessarily. I mean, you have to have some faith in a company of that size that the proper QA is going on and that, you know, it's gone through its, you know, steps to be tested. And I mean, the reality is, is the whole ecosystem's moving. I mean, if it's not moving, it's only because something's been pinned back, really. Well, I guess historically, because I've not been with Linux long enough, the question is, has this burnt people in the past when they've moved faster on LTS kernel updates? And I certainly, within my time with Linux, which hasn't been that long, haven't heard of anything like that. But uh, do you guys know of any time period where that was done and it created dramatic issues? Well, I think a lot of the times I've seen things like that done in the past that either has to do with end of support or a security issue. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, I, my gut feeling is it's not too fast. I, I have faith that they've done their proper testing. Well, 1604.3 will launch August 3rd with the 4.10 kernel as default. All right, so Dustin, I'm going to hand this one off to you because this one is about the Ubuntu sure. alphas. Yeah, so in the last couple of days here, there, you'll start seeing you know, on the social media some uh, murmurings about uh, Alpha 2 with the Ubuntu flavors. Um, basically, 17.10 has hit the early phases of testing. Uh, it's just all in preparation for the upcoming October release. Um, the Alpha 2 builds are going to be released pretty soon. I've got some IRC stuff going on in the background that's going to release that. We should hopefully see those going out to the uh, main servers and the mirrors later today, actually. Um, you know, we're basically hoping to get some enthusiastic users to sort of start helping us work through the early stages for the, the bugs and the testing and just kind of trying to get that stuff hammered out. And, you know, it's alpha. There's going to be bugs. We expect there to be. It's definitely not stable. It's definitely not ready for your production system. Uh, if that's all you have and you still want to test, well, more power to you, but, you know, at your own risk. Um, each of the flavors, I've noticed a couple of them. I've been looking like at Mate and Lubuntu and them. They, we we all, of, all of us kind of have like... Uh, uh, our little uh, blog posts that are announcing this and trying to recruit people. So for example, I know on our website, ubuntubudgie.org slash testing, um, David's actually done a really great job of laying out how to get involved. Like while it's more specific to our flavor, it could be applied to any of them. Like, you know, the things that, you know, how to report a bug, you know, details on what backtraces are and, you know, debugging procedures and updating the ISO tracker. And that could be applied to any flavor that you want to help, uh, test you know you will need a launchpad account obviously you need the hardware to run it on you know or or even a vm uh, some people tend to think that like vms aren't really a valid form of testing but they are i mean a bug is a bug if you're putting that in you're helping us and we're hopefully getting something resolved before you know we get later down the line and into the release dates the, the other idea is too is that you don't want to just sort of install it once and just keep running it you know you want to run the installation you want to sort of run through you know, checklists with different hardware and try to get an idea of what's failing, report the bugs. Like that's absolutely important. You know, it's one thing for you to run it and just sort of be like, okay, this is broken, but then you just sort of sit on it like that. We can't fix that. We don't know. So we encourage you to do multiple installations, uh, make details, file bug reports. It's, um, you know, it's not that daunting. What I love about this is this is a way that folks even like 
myself who are newer into the Linux world can contribute, right? I can run Absolutely. this through virtual machine. I can install it. And now I can start contributing. So I may not be able to be the guy coding. I might not be able to even tell you a bunch of specifics of what's happening with that bug, but at least I can tell you it's there, give you some screenshots, some things that I did to cause it. And it's a really neat way to give back to all of the folks who've given us so much. So I love this idea and the fact that this gets out there and gives people like me a way to help. Well, there, that's the thing. A lot of people seem to think that, you know, you have to code. Well, here, deep, dark, dirty secret. I don't really code. That's not what I'm doing on the team. You know, I'm trying to help out with package builds. I'm trying to become more familiar with, you know, the larger Ubuntu community. Uh, I do a little bit of coding, not a ton. I do all the server administration. Like it's really more about the donation of your time. It's not necessarily about, oh, hey, I have to go write features or, hey, I have to go write patches. I mean, yes, great. That would be awesome if you could do it, but it's not the only thing that you can or have to do. It's it's really, how do you want to contribute? I mean, it could be things like writing documentation, spell mm -hmm. checking, like spell corrections, translations. Yep. Uh, there's things like, even like the wallpaper contests, like take say what you will about it, you're still contributing. You're putting content in there. You're helping create a, an identity to, you know, any of the districts. Will that, will that wallpaper contest be running still? Uh, ours actually, uh, no. So the wallpaper contests usually run, you know, depending on the flavor, but they run, you know, for a finite amount of time and, and so on and so forth. Like we just finished ours up on the 24th, I think, but it was insane. We got over 218 nice. or 270. It's wow. like one of those numbers. We had an insane turnout for our wallpaper. Like it was so hard to pick. Like, we we've kind of like we already made our picks for 1804 so far like we'll probably still do like a secondary <laughs> or maybe we will i don't know but we have so many that they we have, have wallpapers just a, until 2020 and adobe well i was gonna say how do you pick from that many wallpapers how do you pick it and narrow it down to 10 or how well, many are you going to put in it, it depends on how each of the communities do it like for example i believe it's kubuntu I was talking to aaron over there and the way they do it their users pick their wallpapers Nice. Uh, and whereas what we did is it was more of the core team and a few outsiders were invited to participate and, you know, we just kind of did a vote, you know, no, most votes win. And how know? many, and then, how many did you pick to go in? Uh, each, each one of us, I think we submitted anywhere from, I think it was about 10 per release. So each of us picked like basically 20 photos out of <laughs> the 200 and something. And so they all just went in and then we everyone just voted and now they're picked and we're ready to go and, and for, the unfortunate thing is, is sometimes you get really great entries but resolutions are mac messed up or mm. aspect ratios or something because we, we i don't know about the other flavors but we target 4k because we want you know the images to basically be the highest quality they can for the people with the large monitors well that's pretty awesome stuff so uh this is the first uh actual ISO that people can download, correct? Well, I mean, there's always the daily build ISOs. Like, it's not that these are the only ones, but we're, it's, you know, it's got that milestone Alpha 2 on it. And, you know, you, you're starting to solicit people to come and get involved. So if you want to help uh, the Ubuntu flavors with their bug reporting, whatever that you can help with, uh, and we've talked about it a hundred times, that you can do more than just monetary support, and these guys just listed all kinds of things you can do. 
uh, I encourage you to help them out because it goes a long way in making the final product. Definitely. Hey, in this next section, Rocco was like made for you. And we talked last week about themes and wallpapers. <laughs> Leading in the wallpapers. <laughs> I have no input in this area because I just randomly select uh, a wallpaper every once in a while. But uh, get a new desktop wallpaper each day with an uh, extension for GNOME. So, Rocco, the platform is yours. Well, look, if you look, look I'm always on the hunt for new wallpapers, and I usually yeah. use variety wallpaper. Uh, changer and I don't change my wallpaper every day, but I change it, you know, every couple days. What's your wallpaper right now, Rocco? Well, now that you ask, uh-huh. um, I picture of Ryan. I just downloaded <laughs> this <of> extension. <laughs> That's so nice. Um, I just downloaded this GNOME extension that uh-huh. is, um, it actually gets the Bing image of the day for you on a daily basis and once a day it'll go out and grab it and right now it is a ocean picture of scuba diving so that is the image of the day and you don't have to have any scripts like normally i mean you can accomplish this any number of ways with scripts or um, apps or whatever but uh, this just is a simple extension sits in the taskbar and you don't even have to have it show either you can uh, turn the icon off so it's, nice. it's basically the Ron Popeil of of uh, <laughs> wallpapers. You just set it and forget it. <laughs> and tomorrow when, when you come to your desktop, it'll pull in the image of the day, the Bing image of the day. And it also actually unifies with the lock screen. So your background will match your lock screen. And GNOME, the back end of GNOME allows that to happen. But this actually just takes advantage of that. So... Now, I'm not a huge fan of Bing, but I will say that some of the most beautiful desktop theme or themes that they have when you open up Bing ever, the pictures are gorgeous when I have opened it. So that would be neat to have some of those pictures pulled in. The only problem I have is the Bing logo is on. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, man. Well, between Google and Bing, Rocco, you're just... Hey, let's not go there, okay? <laughs> but it, it works pretty good, like I said. So it's not a major uh, app, but it is a pretty cool, nifty extension. So there you go. Absolutely. Anything that stays out of your way is a good thing. Absolutely. All right, so KDE Plasma. Dustin, why don't you take this one? All right. Uh, basically, they've come out with sort of their vision statement. Um, you know, they're spelling it out for everyone. They've kind of got their bullet points, you know, of what they're covering. So it might be things. So, for example, I'm just going to read these off here because I think otherwise I'm going to butcher them. Um, they're saying Plasma is a cross-device work environment. Cross-device, weird. Environment by the KDE community where trust is put on the user's capability to best define their uh, their own workflow and preferences. So that's, you know. So that by cross-device, do they mean the upcoming uh, Plasma Mobile, maybe, hopefully? Could be. That, yeah, sorry, that one kind of caught me off guard there. So I guess cross-device, uh, maybe it's that and they're, you know, they're... Uh, the KDE mobile offering, things like that. So I'm not I'm not entirely sure what they mean by that cross device. I guess that's a little open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one here is they're saying Plasma is a simple by default and clean work area for real world usage, which intends to stay out of your way. 
Just we were so. just talking about staying out of your way. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that comes back to sane defaults. And you'll see a lot of people always talk about sane defaults, especially yeah. on the podcast circuit. It's what we all want. Uh, so that's definitely a good one. Um, they're saying plasma is powerful when needed, enabling the user to create the workflow that makes them more effective to complete their tasks. I agree. Totally agree. I agree. Yeah. But- well, there's it's super, super if I can't even begin to imagine how configurable that damn thing is. <laughs> well, they got so many settings in there. It is the king of, of settings and you can, you can spend all day trying to set things in your uh, desktop the way you want it to be. And that's what the draw is to KDE. That's what always yeah. drew me to KDE. So yeah, exactly. Totally. Agree. The, they almost need some sort of configuration file that you can replicate <laughs> your setup every time. Like you just drop it. I mean, yes, you could just do the raw config file, but they almost need a way to reproduce your, your, uh, your build. Well, they're working desktop. on that with the, uh, plasma look and feel themes. Like they're working on, uh, okay. on, it's not going to, I don't think it covers all of the settings, like right, all the right. graphic settings and that stuff, but yeah. it does cover all of the look of the desktop and the way your bars are set yeah. up and everything. So they're working well, on it. I mean, I mean, you could just back up your dot files, but I mean an approachable way to replicate the the desktop. For um, everyday users. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so the next one they're saying, Plasma never dictates the users. Did I read that one? No, you no. didn't. Go ahead. Pla- Plasma never dictates the user's needs. It only strives to solve them. Plasma never defines what the user is allowed to do. It only ensures that they can. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I mean, really? <laughs> tell us tell us your angst here, Rocker. Look, man, look. Okay, Over, I'll say this. Overall, that's what they do. They never try to dictate what the user needs. I really have an issue with them removing the open as root for that reason. I think that decision right there went against that whole guideline, but that's for another story for another time. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Our motivation is to enable actual work to happen across devices, across different platforms, using any application needed, unless it's Dolphin with root. Unless it's Dolphin with root, (laughs) then you can't. (laughs) And uh, the, uh, the last one is we build... To be durable, we create to be usable, and we design to be elegant. And that's so that totally true. Off. It is. Like, if, if you really summarized all of these uh, different bullet points, it really comes down to the fact that KDE is probably one of the most configurable desktops, period. Like, hands down. Yep. And that's sort of what it aims towards. That's where, like, anyone who wants the configurability is going there. And they can basically build out to have exactly what they want when they want it. I mean, to me, no company's vision is exactly exciting to sit there and listen to or read but it is interesting the rare times when a company has a vision statement and for the most part they pretty much follow it so um you know i guess in a way it's good that they have that vision and they try to stick with it minus a couple examples you gave there rocco and um maybe that makes people to me when i read this i'm kind of i think of skynet and a female voice reading it like skynet is cross device but but i think it's good i think it's good that they clearly have a vision they're thinking long term with their product and it clearly shows when you use it you know i'm uh, it's, it's the go-to desktop environment for me so nice well i've always loved kd and i always will love kd i just have a issue with one or two things they do but overall you can't get a more customizable desktop out there so no not at all 
Uh, I guess on to our next one here. Uh, speaking of the messaging platforms, Ring 1.0 was released. So Ring, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like a Skype alternative. You know, it's free Libre, uh, universal communication platform. Uh, you know, they like to, you know, present that they preserve the user's privacy and freedoms. You know, it's a GNU package, runs on multiple platforms, texting, calls, video, uh, privately, you know, they claim more securely and reliably. Um, they, they're using uh, open DHT technology and Ethereum blockchains. So, so what is what is that Ethereum blockchain? Well, Ethereum is just one of them, but a blockchain, if you super simplified it, is essentially the way, or at least the way it's being used, is it's a ledger that's apparently on like you can't modify it, and it's used in, not necessarily the Ethereum one, but blockchains are used in Bitcoin. Uh, I know a lot of banks are looking at implementing specific blockchains for, you know, like bank to bank communications because it's that um, you can't tamper with it. it. It's a ledger that's just solid and and like it doesn't change. So that's like the super high level. There's way more to it than I'm going to go into because I'm not that deep rooted in my knowledge of it. So I don't want to butcher it any more than I may have. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, it basically avoids keeping centralized registries and, you know, storing personal data and things like that. Um, you know, it's based on standard security protocols and encryption. You know, that's kind of their big sort of play here is the security aspect of it and privacy. Um, they also, you know, it has the usual things like screen conferencing and sharing. It's got, uh, you know, Linux, obviously, our favorite Windows and Surface and Mac OS. <laughs> so, I mean, and Android even. No iOS from the looks of it. So which means we can all sort of talk to each other, even if your mom's on something else. You know? Right. We're in there. It's a GPL v3 license. And, um, you know, they have one little bullet point in their thing as far as features that, you know, it's also parts of Ring can be used as like building blocks and other IoT projects and things like that. So, so the question so is, go ahead, Ryan. No, I just think it's exciting that you've got a lot of options out there that are starting to use encryption. They obviously feel like there's a market there for it. I, I struggle with this because so many people still to this day have no, it seems, care or knowledge about security. And, you know, before I got into Linux, one of the, the subjects that took off on my channel was security stuff mm -hmm. uh, and talking to people about, hey, this stuff, some of the stuff out there is collecting all your data and there's nothing that's truly, you know, especially in a lot of the Windows world, nothing really truly, truly free. There's some catch. Now, obviously, open source and things, the community built stuff, there's that exception. But um, it, I think it's great to see more options like this. I just wonder how many people actually care. Or they're just going to use some other app that by some well-named like Skype or whatever, where collecting your data or harvesting it, people don't care about. Well, like, like you said, the big draw here, the big focus is security for people like me. I'd love it. This is something I would use. Uh, their encryption code and everything's out there for people to view, which mean you were researching. But for others, the big community, is this just going to be one of those projects that people don't adopt? Well, I think the reality is people are going to go where the use base is, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're on Ring and it's like you and one buddy or you, yourself and I, and you've got no one else to talk to, you're not going to use it. So right. then yep. you're going to end up going back to the Facebook messengers, the you know, telegrams, the WhatsApp, like whichever, like it, it, there's fatigue, man. Like there's way too many messaging apps. And while this one is just another one, I mean, it's great that there's another open source option, 
you know, but which one's going to win? I mean, it's, I don't know if anyone will ever win because it's really just going to be where are the numbers and where are the people that you talk to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's why Telegram's winning on my phone right now, because that's where the most people are that I talk to. Yep. So good point. Yeah. It all goes back to how many people use it. It doesn't matter how yeah. great it is. It doesn't matter how secure it is. If you're the people that you call or you talk to are not using it, not going to happen. Yeah. And generally there can be a shift when there is a big security scare that happens. So when everybody's password gets hacked, maybe then people, you know, something they're using normally, they'll think, oh, maybe I should go out there and investigate this and that can change it up. But for the most part, I think you guys are right. I don't think most people even think about it, to be honest. They Except. should. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a culture change. It's something yeah. that's going to take a long time. Uh, security as a whole, while it's getting a lot of like media coverage and, and yes, it's become much more visible to the technologically, um, you know, involved people for mm-hmm. sure. But even then like, okay, I'm going to ask a question here. Do you guys have your hard drives encrypted? Negative. No. <laughs> I, I hesitated because I, when I originally did this install, I did encrypt it, but when I yeah. read the install, I, I did not. So yeah. no. No, I'm, I'm, you know, and it's not a shame, shame, shame thing. I was just, but that's just a great example. Like it's one of those things that you can do in the installation. Last week it was Chrome. This week it's encryption. You guys are, (laughs) (laughs) guys are too hard on me. (laughs) You know, and (laughs) no, it's like I said, it's not a shame thing. I'm, I'm just illustrating the point that I don't think a lot of people think about it. And, you know, and there's also the, um, the concept of like, oh, I've got nothing to hide. You know, I don't either, but I do encrypt my drives. Why? Because why not? You mm-hmm. know, why not default to the better option? Well, let's find out, Ryan. Why did you not encrypt this time when you did last time? I mean, what would what is the reason for that? Honestly, I think it was because I had screwed something up terribly bad in my machine, and I was just trying to get an installer to work because I had messed up all <laughs> kinds of things with Grub, and then I just literally was clicking through and had redone everything and formatted the hard drive and stuff trying to do an install. So it honestly was just out of uh, probably speed and frustration because when I first did the install on the main machine, I did encrypt it uh, and I didn't notice any issues with that encryption. It was unnoticeable Mm -hmm. that it even existed for the most part. So, you know, speed kills, right? I'm just saying, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's just an example. Like that's exactly what I mean. I don't think most people care or they don't, put enough priority on it that, you know, they notice it. I guess that's the best way. They don't notice it in their day to day. Like, you know, but why uh, didn't you encrypt Rocco? I don't think I have encrypted a install for years. I just, well, you, well, you use Google. What's the point? I, I mean, yeah, I use Chrome. I let them have everything. No. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I, but I think it can be compared even to the whole, you know, Linux versus Windows thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You're only going to have a certain amount of people want to run Linux. The most everyday user, you know, say, I'm just going to look at my family, for example, aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. and all they want to do is just run their you know, web browser and go check their email. They don't care to run Linux or even know about Linux. So it's yeah. like in, in the same way, this is the scenario that people are just going to use whatever's in front of them. Uh, there's only going to be a handful of people that actually care to go beyond that. Well, and this also loops back to the whole uh, previous point that where you said tools that just get out of your way are a great thing. Mm-hmm. And that could even be said of your operating system. If you have to come in and I use the term have to, 
not want to, not, you know, when you have to do something to get it going, let's face it, it's a pain. You don't want it. Like I'm a huge fan of having a ISO that I can install and I can either be up and running in five minutes or maybe 10 minutes of tweaks or something I can script and I'm happy. If I have to spend two hours setting up my brand new machine, I don't like it. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's a pain. I just want to get in and I want to get going, but I absolutely want to have the flexibility there that if I hear about something and it actually appeals to me or fits within a workflow or might make my workflows better, I want to be able to do it. So it's, for me, it's like having that option there, but having the, again, same defaults. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got USB news. And now this is not exactly Linux news, but it is pretty exciting news to me. Um, USB 3.2. Now, this is a, we're just going to preface this by saying this is a developer uh, release. So it's not out to the general public yet. It's just basically a look ahead at what they're working on. So a little bit of history. USB 3.0 was renamed to 3.1 Generation 1 so that they could come out with 3.1 Gen 2. So they doubled the speeds from Gen 1 to Gen 2, going from 5 gigabits a second to 10 gigabytes a second. All right, so now you have the USB 3.0 promoter group, which I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> um, as of July 25th, they announced an incremental update. And again, it's for developers. But basically what it does is it doubles the speed again now the caveat to this is that it you have to have different hardware in order to use it so you you're going to be using USB-C connectors and you must have the hardware on both ends in order to get the benefits from it so you may have to replace your motherboard when it comes out if you want it specifically you know the USB ports on the back of it to run 3.2 uh, or you can get a PCI Express card uh, when they come out with them as well. But I think it's pretty exciting news that uh, down the road we're going to be doubling the speed of a USB device. Oh, it's definitely a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, those of us who run primarily laptops, that's going to be a pain. Or just buy a new laptop, man. I was just going to say, or it's justification <laughs> yeah. that I need a new motherboard uh, or a new laptop <laughs> or a PCI slot. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Just buy a new laptop. You know that you can use that of that all that money you're saving, right? Sixty five thousand. All right, Rocco, my expense reports in the mail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So before we go on to the gaming news, I'm going to get the uh, put in the admin section which I want to thank all of the you, all of the viewers out there, all of the listeners, uh, the Patreon supporters, anybody that comments on YouTube, the people that send us emails. Totally appreciate everything you guys have said and done for us. And I just want to say a big thank you to everybody for allowing us to continue doing something that we love to do. So I appreciate yeah. it. Your community is so nice, too, Rock. I was going on the podcast, reading through the comments, and I'm like, why aren't these people on my channel? <laughs> I always get the mean people, and you got all these nice comments just completely saying how great everything is. I was, I was, your community is beautiful. Lots of beautiful people. Well, you know why, Ryan? Why is that? Because this was on YouTube, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Well, you were slagging Google last week. <laughs> Guess what they're all using, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's awesome people. 
<laughs> there's awesome people in the Telegram group, too. So yeah. I encourage you to join that at destinationlinux.org slash Telegram and join in the conversation. Absolutely. So we got some great news here in the game section. What do we got, man? We've got NVIDIA releasing 375.82 and 384.59 drivers. So why is that exciting? Well, one of the things that I hear a lot about on my channel, because a lot of people know I run the 1080, and I'll hear folks say who've got more money than me, apparently, that they have issues with SLI uh, sometimes <laughs> running. In, you know, I'm like, you can afford two of these things? Uh, my wife almost killed me for just the one. So, But yes, uh, they have a lot of fixes in here with suspend and hibernate issues and with SLI. Um, they have an update for the Vulcan driver and some of the known issues and bugs that they fixed there. Um, some of it was for hanging and overlays with SLI when they had SLI enabled. So just a whole bunch of uh, bug fixes out there that those of you uh, who have uh, SLI cards or are using Vulcan will definitely get some uh, joy out of. All right. Well, it's not all good news, right, Ryan? Not all of it's good news, but we're going to start with some bad news and then we'll give them the, the good news about it. That okay. <laughs> we'll make them sad and then we'll make them happy again. All right. Let's, it, all right let's go with it. It's the compliment sandwich. <laughs> go ahead, Rocco. All right. Whatever. Um, uh, most feral games. Okay. So we talk about feral games all the time and how awesome they are. Uh, but most feral games are currently broken on the Mesa Git right now. Okay, there are two bugs that are outstanding, and there is an update to the one. Um, there's two bugs, and one of them has to do with uh, a, a setting screen when you open a game. So if you open a game and it has a setting screen beforehand, which most games do, uh, you will be affected by this bug. Uh, that will stop the game from running. Right now, that has not been fixed. Um, but there ha there was another bug that was stopping the Feral games from running and having an error with Steam, and that, as of today, that we're recording the 27th, they have uh, put in a fix for that. I don't know if it's out yet, but the fix has been uh, on the bug page. It is The status is re resolved. So it was supposed to be bad cop, good cop. You were only supposed to give the bad news, Rocco. Oh, I'm sorry. Was I was I only supposed to give the bad news? That's no fair <laughs> to me, dude. That's no fair uh, to me. I think the good news too is on that setting screen that comes up. I, I was reading that there are some workarounds that within Steam launch options that you can go and search for that will allow you to skip that setting, that initial setting screens. And not all games have it. A lot of them do that kind of initial splash that you can do your settings for your resolution and stuff. A lot of games have that integrated actually within the game itself, and that wouldn't be impacted. But it's that second overlay that happens once you click, or that first overlay that happens in some games when you click, and so. There are some launch options you can change within Steam to skip that until this bug gets resolved. Well, that's not good news, is it? Oh, yeah, it is good news. <laughs> I mean, it's a fix. <laughs> it's a fix. It's a, a, it's a workaround, so that's good. It's better than not. But yeah. how cool would it be to talk to Mark Deluzio from uh, Feral someday? We're going to have to invite him on the show. I would Maybe. love to have him on. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Um, next in the news, we have AMD... Quarter two earnings signal the beginning of a turnaround. To me, this is just 
ultra exciting news. Before I had this Intel build, I had an AMD build, eventually went back to Intel, but I always love the competition. If there wasn't AMD pushing Intel and vice versa, it would be bad overall for everybody, in, in my opinion, because you're not going to get the innovation and things that you would get uh, having this competition. Well, AMD, for a while, they've been trying to compete, and there's a lot of great, fantastic, loyal fans out there that have stuck with AMD. Um, but now it's not so – you don't have to be so shy about being a fan of AMD because they have some amazing <laughs> products out there right now. Um, and uh, this has obviously helped AMD tremendously. First of all, one of the best advertising, social advertising campaigns I've ever seen. I don't know if it organically grew. They did it themselves or whatnot. But when I, AMD was doing the Ryzen uh brand it just absolutely took off it was everywhere on reddit it was everywhere on twitter it was on every news article about ryzen um and it's just been a, a fantastic um run for them so they reported uh an earnings loss of two cents per share but that was much less than they had expected and uh they're up 19 percent year over year to 1.03 billion dollars last year now they're still not profitable but that's how, a much better place. How does to that happen, dude? How does that happen when you earn all of this money and you're still not profitable? Well, that research and development that they yeah. have obviously here has got to be extensive. I mean, this is the first time that they're kind of blowing the doors in some ways. And we'll get into that in the next article. Uh, well, let's just say they're banging on Intel's door directly right now with their ability to compete. And this is the first time in a while that they've competed to this level against uh, Intel. So there's some, they're going to need some time for them to recover all that research and development. And I think they're keeping the hype really exciting, especially with Threadripper coming around the corner, which if you guys have seen some of the teasers of the box with Threadripper, which is going to be one of the most powerful processors, I think, uh, released at this time. So they've got a lot of things that are, are going their way. And if it continues, you're going to see them become profitable real quick. Well, I think people are generally just super happy that there's competition. I think that's what's been missing for, I don't even know how long it's been since the last time they've been legit, legitimately competitive with Intel. You know, like I remember back in my early computing days where you, you heard kind of both of them, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of one up game going on, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden it was just crickets. There was nothing but Intel, you know, mm -hmm. Intel, if you think about it, think about how much they used to advertise on TV. Yeah. They did not or have not been advertising on TV. I don't even know for how long. I don't think they had to. There really was no competition for them. Mm -hmm. Intel, Ryzen just hit the gates, you know, and now there's finally something. And I think people are just really hyped on that. And I think that's what's going to eat in a little bit on the Intel cake. Um, how much? I don't know. I guess it remains to be seen, but it's just nice to have other options. And uh, I, I can't remember. I seem to remember reading some article about the next gen Intel that's supposed to be just that much higher now as a response to Ryzen already. But I mean, I don't know how fast you can turn that stuff around and how legit that article is, but competition is competition and it's a absolutely great thing. Yep. Well, <clears throat> on the heels of that, we have an article from TechSpot. And they go through the comparison from an i7-7800 uh, to an AMD Ryzen 5-1600. 5, and the benchmarks that they used were with a GTX 1080 Ti at 1080p. So they didn't change up the resolution or go 4K with this. Uh, but they just wanted to give a general 
FPS type benchmark. So mm-hmm. each one had, well, one actually the Intel had 32 gigabytes of RAM and the AMD had 16 gigabytes of RAM. But the results of this are pretty interesting, Ryan. Yeah, so what I think you see when you look at, at these benchmarks overall really is that this AMD Ryzen chip being much cheaper, number one, than the Intel counterparts is able to keep up uh, with the Intel processors with no problem at all. So most users wouldn't even notice the differences here. For instance, World of Tanks, 116 versus 118 um, frames per second. Grand Theft Auto, 116 versus 108. I mean, these are not really noticeable, right, uh, for most folks. So it's definitely keeping up. And here, to me, was the really cool thing is the power consumption. Uh, the power consumption here for the first time, they're saying the Ryzen chip uh, had 15% less power consumption than the Intel rival there, I believe it was. Yep. So, I mean, that's incredible because I know in my experience when I ran AMD, I mean, it, it really did, it, not even joking, it just got so hot I could feel it on my leg coming from my case. And now you finally have... Uh, some real competition in an area that a lot of people joked about, frankly, with AMD is the amount of heat and power that they consumed. And now they've addressed that with a very powerful chip. And that's huge for them. Well, I don't know, Ryan, that this Battlefield 1 comparison, 160 versus 156 FPS. I might need those four FPS in order to make that shot. The reason I'm losing. If you ever watch me game, that's the type of stuff I'll blame it on. The four frames per second. Is that what I've been doing wrong all these years? Yeah. You, no, you've yeah. been not having a GPU. That's what you've been. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm da- I'm down by like sixty frames per second. Uh, yeah, you can't expect to be good when you're running at one frame per second. There. Well, what I thought was awesome about this was like you already touched on uh, the the Ryzen is two hundred fifteen dollars that they tested, where the seventy eight hundred is four hundred and fifteen dollars. Yeah. All right, the Ryzen will hit four gigahertz with the box cooler. Okay. Although they put a a twenty dollar aftermarket cooler cooler master on there, but the seventy eight hundred, on the other hand, in order to get those type of that type of performance, it can't work with an all in one solution. So you have to buy a three hundred and eighty dollar custom loop to achieve that same result. So you're not only talking four hundred fifteen dollars; you're talking three hundred and eighty dollars if you want that kind of performance, compared to two hundred and fifteen dollars. Yeah. I mean, amazing. AMD has done an amazing thing, and I I hope their success continues. Well, I'm not saying it's the answer to everything, okay? There may be certain scenarios where Intel will be better, uh, but but for me, I have not looked at a AMD chip in, I don't know, in years, because I had bad experiences with AMD before and have not even considered looking at it. But this kind of performance this kind of benchmark would make me want to look at it and look into it to say hey you know if i can save a couple hundred dollars on a build man that'd be the way to go yeah i'm just chomping at the bit to do a ryzen build if i could uh, get some uh funds together here i'd love to build one I, i'm telling you i just it, it's so exciting for me to see them back in the game and in such a great way that i would love to be able to play with it myself and i, I can't wait for the opportunity so next build that i do get an opportunity to do will probably be a rising build 
Hmm, funds for GPU, helicopter license. Hmm. <laughs> Rocco, all money. Yeah, I'll just lend it out of all of our funds that we have here. <laughs> okay, great. May get us a screw for the helicopter. <laughs> hey, if that's the one that keeps my seat from falling out. <laughs> There's no seat, dude. There's no seat. There's only a screw, okay? <laughs> all right, I guess we got a ways to go then. Yeah, we got a ways to go. All right, so, um, Dustin, you brought up a article about Firefox 55. Tell us what it is. Well, basically uh, 55, um, which is due for release, I think it's in August sometime. Uh, the article says the 8th to be exact. Uh, there's basically a new set of improvements. Uh, you know, th- th- kind of a lot of what they've been doing lately is around responsiveness and like container or seg- seg- yeah. segregating the processes between the tabs. So this is just more of that kind of things. Like they've been really trying to do a lot of the performance ups. You know, I think they're calling it uh, quantum flow. Um, they, I believe, uh, they decided to test how well like different versions of Firefox cope with what was that number like sixteen hundred and some some ridiculous tabs. amount of tabs yeah. sixteen hundred and ninety one open tabs. <laughs> yeah, like that's insane. <laughs> Um, and they basically, I believe they're testing over a couple of different versions with the same like custom profile. And that was, I believe it was 55 and 56. And, uh, the article says on his MacBook. Yep. And they basically measured the time the browser took to open, uh, version 55 with the quantum flow changes took uh, 15 seconds to open, but not load the pages obviously. Cause you know, you've got the, uh, latency on the other side of yeah well but even the latency of the internet right so yeah but 15 seconds just to get the tabs up and running and by uh, uh i believe it was firefox 51 took almost eight minutes to do the same thing so yeah that's a win that's a win yeah. you might question whether this win is early enough um the uh test you know they claim while they're extreme they do show basically how inefficient or you know how unoptimized firefox had become and you know, yeah, they're now improving. So, I mean, yes, thank you, great. Uh, so, Rocco, is this enough to finally get you off the hooks of Chrome? Mm, I don't know, man. Well, in this uh, when's image, the last time you opened sixteen hundred tabs in Chrome? Well, let's see. <laughs> no, I can't say that I've ever Never. opened sixteen hundred and ninety-one <laughs> stinking tabs. But hey, uh, I guess he Someone did that as to show it. You know, the performance yeah. of it. But in this graph that they show on the OMG Ubuntu article, uh, he started with. Uh, Firefox version 20, and that was like under two minutes, I guess, to open this. And it slowly went up from 30 to 40 to 50 to version 51 that was, you know, up around eight minutes to load this. And (laughs) as it now progressed to 52, 53, and 54, it's went down to like four and a half minutes, five minutes. But again, like you said, with 55 and 56, it's completely noticeable, the difference. Now, my question is, will you see this in real-world usage? So we're not going to open 1,691 tabs. <laughs> so will we see a real-world uh, boost in performance because of stuff like this? Well, yeah. I mean, you can only extrapolate backwards from there, right? Like, if it's technically capable of opening, you know, 1,600 tabs and uh, whatever the duration was, I mean, if you're opening one or two or 10 or 20, I mean theories dictate that yeah you're going to see an improvement you know well this also reduced the memory usage too from two gigabytes to basically 500 megabytes being used 
So listen, I, I think they're on the right track here. They're they're addressing one of the key issues that I see. Even on the show last week when we were talking about using Mozilla and stuff, there were some comments people had about um, Firefox just being slow. I stopped using it because it's slow um, and issues with memory usage and things. So what's interesting to me about this article is it shows they, they kind of understand that there's a potential issue here and that they may be falling behind in the speed game and resource game and they're working on it. And so I think they're, they're doing what the communities really needs uh, to continue using Firefox. There have been some issues recently that I've noticed where Firefox just seems to plain be slower. And so, you know, I think it's really good that they're looking into it. And August 8th is not that far down the road. I I would almost hazard to say, and this is kind of a segue into the next article. I think they're doing it more because they have to. It's it falls into like their market share. And I mean, there's been those few articles that are out now just saying how I mean, like the next topic we're going to talk about, for example, is how uh, Firefox is falling off the cliff. You know, like that was Mm -hmm. what their own CTO said. And so if you want to talk about the performance and everything, I think they're just kind of doing what they need to do to get back to where Chrome already is to a degree. You know what I mean? Like Chrome compared to the two is faster, you know, at least today. Now, once 55 hits, maybe that's going to change. But kind of, I more see it as it's a reaction to their place in the market because they have to. You know, like if they just kind of keep going where they're going and if they evaluate and, and yes, I guess it's coming back to what their user base is saying and, or what people have been saying in general is it's too slow. It, it's a reaction and, yeah. you know, across the board. And just something clear. that they, well, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say it was something they should have done probably three years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And just to clarify, it's the former Mozilla CTO kind of making that statement. But um, the article also goes on because in some ways it's kind of an exciting headline. But, Mm -hmm. no, Firefox still has 90 million users. And I love the article points out Opera Vivaldi, which I love. uh, Mm -hmm. Heck, even Microsoft Edge would love to have that popularity (laughs) and market share. But you're very right. If they don't continue to kind of get ahead of the game and they just kind of stay back, uh, where they have been, then they're going to quickly find that that share is going to drop to nothing in, in another browser alternative, probably Chromium, which this may be anecdotal because I haven't been around Linux as long as you guys have, but I'm just seeing a lot more distributions with that option of Chromium instead of Firefox being the default um, browser there. So I, I think that's really interesting to see that as well. So you're seeing some of the Linux um adapt to its user bases, not really necessarily utilizing Firefox as much perhaps anymore. So I still use Firefox. I, I love Firefox, but there is some slowness to it. So yeah. uh, hopefully they can get that addressed. For sure. Well, what you guys are referring to, the latter part of that is the article on OMG Ubuntu that talks about mm-hmm. Firefox market shares falling off a cliff. And that's being said by the former Mozilla CTO on a blog post that he made. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's any tainted uh, viewpoint there, but um, it's basically based <laughs> off of active daily installs. And the problem mm-hmm. is not just the the lack of usage of Firefox or the down for, downward trend of it, but the acceleration of the downward trend of mm-hmm. how many people are using it. So my question is: Is it to the point where people are going to? give up on Firefox? Is it to that point or is this just clickbait headlines? Well, I think it's already, well, it's clickbait to a point for sure, but I 
think it's a reaction to something that's already happening. I mean, mm -hmm. otherwise it wouldn't be dropping off like that if people weren't going. I think people are already exiting. And a lot of the peoples that are people that are holding out are the people that, you know, are staying there probably for philosophical reasons, you know, maybe what Mozilla stands for, because as a company, Mozilla is awesome. Yeah. You know, like with what they're um, talking about and what they kind of try to propose, like even their new podcast, IRL, you know, with privacy and security, like with what they're talking about with the internet is great. But the question is, is whether their brand is enough to keep those people there you know, versus the technical merit of other browsers, features, or, um, you know, like, like workflows and why people are jumping to other ones. Cause there's a little bit, you know, between the performance, which I think is actually the largest one. And then you get into other things like, let's face it, almost everything has a Chrome extension nowadays. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you can get it, so much done. It can kind of be like the phone wars where apps become everything. Right. Um, Firefox uh, also released an app recently for the iPhone called Firefox Focus, which I've been playing with, which is a fantastic idea that basically it's a completely private uh, web browser where it doesn't collect cash ever and clears your history as soon as you close it. And uh, the whole focus is on privacy in there. So I, th I thought that was pretty neat and pretty innovative on their part to kind of try to find some ways uh, to get users interested. I think speed's the big thing. I think apps are the big thing right now. I, I, I think it's a little bit of clickbait, but I think more so this is a warning shot. Uh, for right. Firefox, either they can take this message and they can do something about it, or they can sit on their hands and just hope that they're going to continue to maintain their 90 million users. And I don't think based on what I'm reading, they're doing that. I think they're they're reacting to the market in positive ways. They've got some innovative apps out there and doing new things. And I hope it continues. Well, I just installed Firefox Focus, as a matter of fact, on my phone. Uh, <laughs> it was actually yesterday that I installed it. And, you know, it, it's pretty nice. It yeah. is only one tab, uh, so yeah. it's not like you can have multiple tabs open, but, you know, it's a pretty nice, speedy little browser on your Android phone. Yeah. But as far as on the desktop, uh, it's not just about, like, the speed of the browser as you open it up or out of the box. The problem, well, part of the problem with, with my problem with Mozilla is the more add-ons you use, the slower it gets. And yeah. I don't find that same scenario with Chrome. Now, you may, with the multiple processes now uh, that Firefox has been working on, that may fix some of that. Uh, but, you know, you go to, you say you install a, a distribution and Firefox is a default browser. Usually without changing anything, it's opening up speedy. And, uh, you know, it's instant. As soon as you click it, it opens up. Then when you start adding add-ons, which is part of the main reason why you would use Firefox uh, <laughs> is for the add-on support. Uh, then it starts to slow down and have some issues and doesn't quite work the same way. So that would be my experience of why I'm still running Chrome. So hopefully they get some of that fixed. Yeah, I actually have high hopes for Vivaldi. Once they, yes. get, the, once they get the sync in there, uh, that'll probably be my go-to browser because uh, in my experience, all the Chrome extensions work in there. Um, my yep theory or my hope is is that a lot of the google-esque stuff is removed um it's super customizable it still fits within my workflow it looks decent um so i'm just waiting for sync because i just don't like not having sync right <laughs> no that's a really good point so. well uh jb in the telegram group uh, mentioned about how he removed vivaldi 
and put opera on because he was telling me how you know fast it was and when you enable the there's an extension to enable mm-hmm. extensions <laughs> so you have to enable the uh chrome extension so that you or chromium extension so that you can enable extensions and then you can download any extension from the chrome store oh, uh for opera cool. so i haven't tried opera in a long time so you know i don't know how uh real world uh, speedy it is compared to I don't even know if there is a difference between speed as far as Chrome or Opera. I I guess the only uh, advantage to using Opera over Chrome would be because of privacy. Uh, I'm no. guessing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not sure. I, yeah, I think that's more of uh, I'm I'm not sure if Opera is considered more private than Chrome. Look, man, anything's more cr- private than Chrome. <laughs> Probably. Um, Opera has some neat things. Actually, you're right, because now that I think about it, Opera did go out with their VPN-based service recently where they had like, well, it wasn't really a VPN, more of like a proxy. Right. Uh, But they called it a VPN that allowed you to do some private. And and I appreciated that Opera did that because I think it brought VPN services and things to the forefront for more people to start looking at and investigating what's a VPN and is it important for me? And yes. Um, so I think Opera made some bold moves there. So certainly more pop, more private than Chrome, maybe the same as Chromium. Um, Vivaldi, I think, has uh, shown some amazing potential out there. And I absolutely love Vivaldi. Um, so that's a great option. There, there's so many good options out there. Maybe that's going to be the issue for Firefox is how do you stand out in such a crowded arena? I thought when Opera released their free VPN, what a great way to differentiate yourself. But how, how are you? Go- it didn't really seem to necessarily push them toward the top uh, when they did that either. So it's an interesting environment to try to wade through. For sure. Only time will tell. We'll see what Indeed. happens and see how it plays out. But uh Hopefully they can turn around because, you know, as much as I don't use Firefox, I, I think they're an important part of the open source community. So, yeah, absolutely. Sure. All right. Um, that's about all the news we got. What are you guys working on? Alpha releases. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be stuck working on alpha releases for the next couple of days. Uh, Ryan, what are you working on, man? Anything? Well, I think we're going to do some more game development uh, videos coming with my brother, Chad. So um, that's going to eventually extend into the Unreal Engine. So that will be really cool, seeing Unreal within Linux. Um, Prior, those videos focused on Torque game development, Torque 3D game development. But I know a lot of people are very excited about Unreal. So he's been uh, doing some migration activity in Unreal. So as soon as he gets caught up, we're going to have him back on my show and do some game development there. So. Nice. Yep. Well, I don't got nothing planned for the week. You know what I got planned for the week? What's that? (laughs) Life. That's it. (laughs) All right, guys. I appreciate you uh, helping me out. Uh, Thanks for having us on. Yep. Dustin, it was great. Ryan, everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. See you, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. I just deleted everything. (laughs) You really didn't like you bugging him, Ryan. Yeah, I guess not. (laughs) 
It's okay. We have recordings. It's like, now your rude comments <laughs> don't exist. Yeah. Okay. So now that we spent 45 minutes talking about everything, you want to do it? Just yep. do it. All right. This is episode 30, right? That's the claim of the sheet. <laughs> okay. So let's do it.